Welcome to the Epic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Carol Walker. Each week, I get to talk to amazing women about their epic adventures in motherhood. I'm so glad you joined us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends. I'm so excited that you joined the Epic Mom Podcast today. Our guest today is one of my favorite people, Lee Vincent. She is a great adventurer and lover of fun and an awesome mom. And she and I have done a lot of hiking and playing together. And recently, we were in Hawaii learning to surf together. I hope you enjoy our um, conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And without further ado, here's Lee Vincent. Okay. Welcome to the Epic Mom Podcast. Today, our guest is Lee Vincent, one of my very, very favorite people in the world. And uh, Lee, how long have we known each other? Like three years? I think that's right. Yeah. 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 And we met through our kids kayaking and our kayaking and traveling. Correct. In Colorado. Is that where we met? Yeah. So, but I feel like we've known each other longer than that, but maybe it's just because I just think you're so awesome. And... So do you want to introduce yourself to everybody and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, please? Sure. So uh, I am a mom uh, of a single child, a teenager now, uh, soon to be 16. Uh, And I have a husband uh, who is sometimes soon to be 16 as well. And (laughs) uh, I jointly refer to them as the boys. And we are an outdoor active family. And um, have spent a large chunk of time living in the Yukon in northern Canada. And the last five years uh, have been a lot on the road. So running away from winter or just in running to adventure in terms of, um, we refer to it as chasing the sun, of looking for warmer weather and fun things to do. Awesome. And what do you do when you are not being hunter's mom um when i'm not being hunter's mom i work for myself so i'm a small business consultant and we also homeschool so i am hunter's teacher much to his dismay some days um and then i also have a few volunteer hats that i wear uh one of them is being the chair of the canadian freestyle committee which is a kayaking activity so Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, yes, I did know that you were the chair of the Canadian committee. Yeah. That's awesome. Does that keep you pretty busy all year or just um, during paddling season? Um, definitely busiest during paddling season. And then in the non-paddling season, we go into a lot of training and we're doing a lot of putting a lot of time and energy into sport development at the moment. So figuring out how we can grow a sport from a grassroots perspective to make it more popular and get more people involved. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's good. So why don't we start there? In terms of kayaking, was that something that you and your husband did before um, you were married, before Hunter came along? And then what, what's made you decide to keep that as a main part of your family activities? So Tim and I actually met on the Ottawa River um, where he was working for one of the uh, rafting outfitters as a safety kayaker. And I was learning to kayak. So it was something that brought us together. And has been an underlying kind of piece of our relationship ever since then. Um, He is significantly better than I am uh, and probably always will be. But I continue to aspire and work and progress at this on a daily basis. 
um, it's something that we both love and it's something that we've found that we can do as a family, which is great because there's lots of activities that you can't. So it's one that is easy for us to do. We have fun. It's outdoors. Um, it's also part of an amazing community. The sport of kayaking, um, has, uh, the community is one of the things I love best about it is that you can roll into an area that you've never been to. You can find a Facebook group of paddlers in that area. They welcome you on the river. They'll take you down it. It's a great way to see new places, uh, and make new friends as in like you, as in us, right? Like without kayaking, we never would have met. Exactly. So we, because we lived across the world from each other or continent at least. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the earliest that you got Hunter on the water? Has he always just been around it? He has not. So we started, um, we started when he was six. We moved to the Yukon when he was two and the Yukon is cold water. Um, and it's very canoe oriented. So when he was six, we had finally gotten frustrated about not being on the water. So we tried whitewater canoeing and it was a dismal failure. Um, and the, just the whole idea of two people in a boat and the kid in the middle and, you know, it didn't work. Uh, and it ended up with him swimming. And so he was not happy. <gasps> uh, well, oh, we all no. swam actually. Um, but so, uh, as the key memory from that is that Tim had swooped him up and got him and was saying to him, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. As I was then floating down the river, holding the canoe, uh, and, and Hunter just turned to dad and said, I am not okay. This is not good. Oh. <laughs> so it's amazing you ever got him near yeah. the water again. So we, you know, so we gave up on the idea of whitewater canoeing as a progression point and just said, fine, we're just going to all start, you know, we're going to get kayaking again. So we uh, happened to find an outfitter in Alaska, which was theoretically down the road from us, about 12 hours. Um, and that had a duo for sale. So we got uh, Jackson 1.5, which is a tiny kid's kayak. Uh, and a whole bunch of outfitting for kids because he was getting out of that business, and a duo, which is a two-person kayak, from him when Hunter was seven. Um, And that was it. He was then thrilled, uh, off to the races, spent every summer in a kayak since then. That's awesome. What kind of life lessons and such do you feel like you gain from kayaking? Like, have you felt like, like, I felt like that has been like really good for my kids to have that sport and experience because of all of the challenges, but I just wanted to hear your perspective. And I apologize about the horn in the background. (laughs) Um, I think it's, uh, it's a fabulous sport uh, for so many reasons, but one of them uh, that I really like is the fact that it's an individual sport, but yet it's supported by a community. So even when these kids compete, um, and one of our biggest, still my amazements of, of even just having come back from the world championships was how supportive everybody is of each other, of theoretically you're going head to head against somebody. Um, and yet they're giving you tips on how you can improve what you're doing. Um, so they're right. trying to make I you a better too. competitor and a better paddler, um, because that's just what people do. Um, and, and so that's the great part about certainly being out on the river is that everybody's looking out for everybody else. So you're a soloist in the sense of you're responsible for yourself, but you're also in the midst of a community traveling down the river, uh, or wherever you happen to be. So it's very different than being like a runner or something. Um, so you have responsibility for your own development, but you also have support, which I think is really 
neat and unique about the support, the sport. Um, I yeah. think the other thing that it really teaches is progression in the sense of if you work hard, you can achieve things. So um, the ability to learn new tricks or be able to do new things and get better at it is directly correlated to how much effort you put into it. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's not age dependent. No. You can continue to learn and grow and new, do new tricks and become better whatever age yes. you are. Yeah. That's something I love about it too, is that it's not one of those sports where, okay, once you're like 25, you're pretty much too old to participate anymore. Yeah. You yeah. know, because there are sports like that, that you really can't be competitive or even keep up with the younger kids. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. So I like that. Of course, all of my children are better kayakers than me too. So <laughs> that's, that's, but that's partly because I don't put the time in there. I have other distractions. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of traveling for extended periods of time with children. And so I wanted you to kind of share your thoughts about how you managed that with Hunter at a young age, but then also now as a teenager where he's feeling more like he wants to set roots down and maybe not be on the road as much. So you can kind of speak to that a little bit. Sure. So we started traveling when Hunter was 10. Um, and our first trip, we were away for seven months. I think we left in September and got home at the end of April and it was, and so traveling looks like traveling looks like fair enough. So in that first year, it was us, um, in a truck camper and pulling a utility trailer, an enclosed utility trailer that was full of kayaks and surfboards and mountain bikes and all the toys that we need to play and amuse ourselves. Um, right. And we traveled throughout Western Canada and then down the West coast of the U S and then kind of a big L over to over the Southern part of the U S down to Florida where we have family. And then basically did that in reverse on the way back. Um, and so that was a huge learning experience for us. Uh, great in many ways and uh, challenging and a few others. One of the biggest things we learned was that, and it's a bit similar to what you're sharing with me earlier, that just because you're traveling doesn't mean you have to be busy. Um, the We got exhausted by perpetual motion because there were so many yeah. things to see and do that you were doing something every day because you're in vacation mode. And that, right, limited, right. that limited resource kind of idea of, oh my God, I only have so many days. So once you let go of that, um, and got comfortable with that it was okay to do nothing today and it was okay to just go for a walk and hang out at the beach or just have an inside school day or whatever um, or that we may not be able to see and do absolutely everything in this area that we've never been to before then it got a lot more relaxing and so that, yeah. was, that took us a while to learn that that was that was for sure um, the other thing that uh, we learned was the first few months, I was pretty stressed about school. So Hunter would have been in grade five then. And that was our first experience at homeschooling. And so I was very concerned about that we were doing school and that we were learning these things and we weren't falling behind and, you know, this, this rigid sense of, of progress. Uh, and then I got more and more comfortable with the idea that, you know, we're doing these amazing things and the whole premise of road schooling, which is learning about the world around you, where you're at. And so that helped us, again, kind of relax into it in terms of what was going on, that just trusting that, trusting that your kid is curious and learning 
um, but also investing in helping your kid be curious and learn. So sometimes when you're busy as a parent, your kid is asking you a gazillion of questions and you kind of tune them out. Um, and you just <laughs> yeah, kind of totally like, true. I'm trying to deal with what I'm dealing with. So come back later, come back. Yeah. Later. Um, right. but when you kind of take on this responsibility of homeschooling and, and doing it in a road schooling way, it all of a sudden hits you that, Oh, wait, I'm responsible for maximizing that curiosity window that this child now has. So right. we were incredibly grateful to the world of Google and smartphones, um, that when he would ans- ask a question, we would all pause. And we would talk about it and try and figure out if we could find an answer or figure out an answer. And if we couldn't, we would Google it and we would all learn in the moment, whatever it was that he happened to be curious about. How did people ever homeschool without Google in the past? Like, that's what I I do. I think that would have been so challenging. So challenging. (laughs) Well, I think you'd like a huge set of encyclopedias that you were referencing all the time. But yeah. Yeah. And it explains why homeschooling so would have been much more rigid before. But yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the idea, I mean, really, I think that we have a lot more freedom now anyway as the, as the industrial age and, and technological age advances. We, we are free to go and travel and explore in ways that our ancestors never could because they had to tend the farm or, you know, they had regular nine to five jobs. None of this, you know, I can have a meeting across the mm-hmm. world kind of stuff on the phone but um what so had you always wanted to homeschool or did it just become a let's homeschool because we're going to travel or like how did you get into homeschool it was something where we lived in a uh, uh, rural neighborhood in the Yukon for a while um and we're surrounded by a lot of homeschool kids and I'd always said that you know geez if I could I would because it was an amazing opportunity to be able to do things differently um but I had a full-time corporate job and we had a regular life, I would say. Uh, yeah. So when we decided to, to travel, it was like, okay, great. You know, well, homeschool, no big deal. Um, and it was through that process of, of learning about how homeschooling works and things like that, that I was grateful again, that I had this, this um, exposure to people who did it differently so that, so that it wasn't all about just here's your 12 textbooks, take them on the road with you you know, and go learn from a book every day. But I'd had exposure to enough people and I'd done enough reading about unschooling and road schooling and just the different ways that you can homeschool to, to let me feel comfortable about letting go about the rigidity of an academic environment. And certainly in the, definitely in the elementary world where at the end of the day, it really all is about numeracy and literacy. Who cares how they learn it? Absolutely. Who cares where they learn it? That's all they really need to come out of elementary school with. So our goal became all about all the other stuff and about learning to be a reader and about learning to be curious and the stuff that doesn't show up in a classroom every day. And that in some ways maybe disappears because of the classroom in my opinion, but um, that can not for all kids, but definitely can. Um, So, so you're on the road for seven months and at the end, we think it's fantastic. We want to do it again. And the end, we came home and people were ready to be home by then. By, by month six, people were ready to be home. And it was this, this push-pull of, I want to keep having adventures, but I'm also ready to be home. Um, so our second year, we decided to experiment and do it differently. And so we stayed home in the sense of home base was home, but we flew places. So we flew to 
Mexico to go kayaking for two weeks uh, with some friends. We flew to Ecuador to go kayaking for two weeks with in January with some friends. We then flew to California um, where I have family and we were there for three and a half weeks. So we would kind of, we did all these flying places to experiment with, with adventuring that way and see how did that feel um, compared to picking up your life and moving it. So we kind of just fit it in. Um, and it was, we all came out of that second year agreeing that we missed having our toys and our stuff with us. And we missed the slower pace that flying again, puts you more in vacation mode. Um, right. Hurry up and have all the fun you can. Cause you have such a limited amount. Of yeah. Time you have a limited amount of time. You don't have all your stuff with you. So you're not having all the adventures you would like. Um, no, you know, it's great to get there faster. That's for sure. But, but you're also, especially from the, yeah, <laughs> but you're also surrounded by all these people and all these rules and the structure and, you know, all the downside that comes with flying places. So, so year two, we kind of came away with saying, yeah, I don't think that's for us. You know, this, this flying adventure is not for us. So year three, we went back on the road again and, um, we were away for 10 months that time. Um, and, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah. So where'd you go that time? A lot of similar places. Um, still we have this, we have family in Southern Florida. So that kind of seems to be the anchor is that we make it down there for Christmas for, for the period between th- American Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we wander our way around. That was the first year we went to CKS, um, no, no, oh, that wasn't right. No, no, that wasn't the, the next, next year. Yeah. Right? So that was, okay. so that year we, um, yeah. So we just kind of did an, a longer version and, and a few other explorations and, um, and got more paddling in. That was the biggest difference is that we left in the summertime. So we were able to kayak more places and, um, and meet new people. We also got a bit more, uh, I don't know, curious, or we extended our world a little bit more and we met some more traveling families. And by the end of that, that trip, we spent the month of March and April in California and Nevada. And that's when we met, um, we met the Holcombs and we spent time in Reno, Nevada and met some of the families there. And all of a sudden we had a community of kids that paddle for Hunter. And that was a first for us. So that left us and important yes. don't you think it was critical yeah did that make a difference for it him it made a huge difference for him and it it let him see that there were other kids that were like him um so that was you know another big risk but it was it was well worth it to to have that experience so yeah cuz even um we have not traveled for as extended period of time as you have but even with the amount of traveling that we do and the different things that we do as a family, I know in our regular life back at home, our girls have lots of friends, but they are different than all their friends because of the homeschooling and because of the travel. It's so it's really nice when we can get together with other kids that travel a lot and that, that kayak or do other outdoor activities on such a regular basis. I think it's a great leveler and helps them to feel a little bit more, I don't know, comfortable with their own life, if that's the right way to put it. I think very much it is, is that we had the experience of, if you're not involved in mainstream activities, um, kids are kids and they, 
they minimize it for, you know, for the other person. So Hunter experienced, you know, because he wasn't in soccer and hockey, people saying that kayaking is not a real sport or mountain biking doesn't matter or things like that. So yeah, it very much normalized and validated the things, the activities yeah. that we choose to do as a family by finding other people that do them too. And that's certainly what we've found with the magical world of social media, that if you are willing to reach out and find like-minded people, they're out there and they're so welcoming um, and supportive. Yeah. And you kind of say, Hey, here's me. This is who we are. You know, do you want to hook up? Right. So, and isn't that great? Yeah. yeah, I love that. I mean, otherwise, how would we have ever? Exactly. Met? So, I love yeah. that. Yeah. So now you're kind of at a crossroads. Um, the last time we visited, you said Hunter was kind of over it on the travel. He's trying to put some roots down at home as a 16 year old. So, how is how are you kind of navigating that with him as a mom? He is. Um... I think the biggest thing that I am constantly relearning in my own world, in our little family, is remembering that a teenager uh, is not a long-term thinker. Uh, <laughs> and so that I need to... No truer words have ever yeah. been spoken. So, Anyone with a teenager is like, exactly. So not a long-term Well, I thinker. need to take the things that he thinks about and talks about and wishes for seriously... I also need to make sure that I always create the space for flexibility and change and adaptability. Um, and so that's what I am now striving for. So on one hand, he's looking for this coming year, um, a winter where he can have a job, um, where, where he can build some skills, where he can have some roots and stability because there's a lot of things he wants to achieve. Um, but also recognize that things will come up and stuff will happen. And so how can I make sure I'm creating the flexibility in our world? So the things that will come up and things like that are, you know, what I'm guessing at is kayaking things will happen or opportunities will come up to go train somewhere or with some people. And so how do I create the space for that to still fit in while at the same time fulfilling his current wishes and wants of having more stability and staying in one place for a long enough period of time where he can work and, and get some experience in a trade that he's looking to learn more about. And it's such a balance, isn't it? And also like identifying what you believe is best for him and, and balancing that against what he believes is best for him. And the older they get, I think the harder that balance is. Yes, we spend a lot of time talking about that and talking about how just, you know, what a teenager is really good at is thinking in, about the thing that's right in front of them. Um, and they don't have a lot of context and they don't have this big worldview. So how can we be teammates and work together to balance my big view and ability to see all the pieces and how they're going to play out with his immediate needs and view of the thing that's right in front of him. And that's it. And yeah. that's all he sees. And his immediate need to be more independent. Yes. That's what I found like that, you know, those later years of teenage age of being a teenager before they're kind of a young adult. And even as a young adult, it's also giving them the space to be able to, to, to spread their wings a bit, be more independent, make some of those decisions and then sit by and watch, um, how that all plays out for them and be there to help when 
it doesn't go as planned. Yeah. And, and I think that, <laughs> right? you know, lots of people, there's concerns that people have about families that travel a lot and are they missing some of those developmental windows? And, and I think you're not. As a parent, as long as you're cognitive of them, then you're looking for opportunities. Um, you know, and a great example was we were just in Spain for the world championships. Uh, luckily, it was in a very small village of 2,000 people. So there was an opportunity to let him have that independence you know, on, on the, ver- the night of the mm-hmm. finales, the finals didn't finish until 12. They didn't, the finals finished at midnight. Award ceremonies are done by 1230. The party then starts. Right. He wandered right. home at five or six in the morning. Um, yeah. But he was, you know, we had agreed on what, what are our parameters? Just like you would in a regular residential neighborhood, you know what is the criteria? What are the parameters? What are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? Um, right. So he was out at the Spanish disco until six in the morning, having that. Which what a memory for exactly. him! Exactly. <laughs> what an experience. having that social experience of that independence, but yet we were able to say, okay, you know, this is the right environment to yes, let him go, let him have that. So I think it's right. like anything where if if you're connected to what you think is important as a family or as a mom, you can find ways to make it happen. Absolutely. I was not aware that people think that traveling families miss certain milestones. I don't know. I've never thought about it. I just have always considered the opportunity to travel as a family, a great enrichment and blessing. That's how I've always thought of it. I'm just jealous of myself. (laughs) That's, that's how I've always thought of it. So I didn't know that there was, but you know, there's also, um, so then I'll ask you, how would you speak to the criticism that homeschoolers get that their kids will not be socialized properly, especially an only child? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this one that I think that the, okay, good. I can't wait to hear the, the traditional academic environment is actually a false environment. If that's all you're worried about, because it's the only time in life. So it's a, I don't know, six, um, 12-year period where you are surrounded by people from the same geography, mostly, that are the exact same age, that you have to function in, in a social environment. And your, your time is dictated, the majority of the time, of what you're doing with them, within that box as well. So it's, self, it's highly directed, and it's a false social construct. Um, compared to when you go out in the world, you're all of a sudden in environments that you do have more input in. You're surrounded by people that are different than you, that you have to figure out how to function with. A- different ages, different yeah. demographics, different, you know, genders, different everything. Um, and that's the important part. So I think that um, as long as you're exposing your kids to those things, then then there's no downside. You know, they're learning how to function in the world. And really as parents, that's our whole job, right? Is we are raising right. a human being to be successful in the world and, and successful as an individual and successful as a contributor as part of this greater community. So why right. wouldn't I want to expose them to that and help them learn how it works? I think that you pretty much articulated my exact feeling as well. That's what I've always said. I feel like, I feel like um, for our family, I I don't feel like it's been the least bit detrimental to my children to have been homeschooled and they can visit with and empathize with and get along with people of all different ages and ethnicities and um, socioeconomic backgrounds. And I don't know that they would have gained that as quickly 
um, at such a young age, if they'd been in public school where the majority of their time was not spent interacting with anybody except for kids their own age. Yeah. Okay, so what advice would you give to parents of an only child? Mm. I would say my biggest piece of advice, which is completely learned, and it's learned oh, good. from, the, learned. You know, from okay. doing it the opposite way. Is, oh, and even better, yeah, a life experience. This is a life experience, okay. is do not give the only child a vote. They have an opinion. <laughs> they are welcome to be part of the conversation, but they do not have a vote but at the they table. Don't have a vote. Yeah. Because yeah. once you've given them a vote, it's so hard to pull back from that. To take it yeah. back. And because at the end of the day, you're his parents. Yes. And it is not a equal situation yeah. in the relationships yeah. and decision making. And we found it especially in those situations whereby we can see the bigger picture. And, you know, the the child can't, right? So they're looking at their world of what's in front of them, two feet in front of them. And so when you, when you outvote them, which of course, you know, even though he has a vote, we outvote him, right? So, um, that it, it it causes resentment. So even when you're choosing something for the greater good that, you know, you know, they'll be happy with later down on the, down the road, or even once they get into it, the fact that they've been outvoted um, causes resentment. So if we had never given a sure. vote to begin with, he would never be constantly outvoted. That makes complete sense. That, it totally does. Because if he feels like he can vote, then he feels like maybe his vote should be listened to. And that would create resentment if it's never listened to. You ask my opinion and then you never do it. What's the deal? Yeah. 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 Whereas other, otherwise you could share your thoughts and concerns. We can have that conversation so that you can learn to make good decisions, but ultimately mom and dad are making the decision. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I like it so much. So what is your expectation for the coming year with the 16 year old? The 16 year old is very excited for their driver's license that will hopefully come in the next month and the independence that that brings. I th- it's a game changer. It is a game I changer. I think we are you excited? Uh, yes and no. Um, there's some big expectations, not on my side, but on the driver's side, about what kind of freedom comes with that. Um, oh, so, <laughs> and we again we laugh at this because you know had we lived a traditional environment, you know, freedom would be being able to drive within an hour circle, right, of where he is. That's that's yeah. the freedom that yeah. that any teen would then be excited about. Um, Hunter's vision is being able to drive to um, a place we go kayaking on his own, which is seven hours away and being able to do his own road trip, weekend trips at 16. And so, you know, we have to, that's not, that's not, it's not completely dissimilar. It's not traditional. And it's, it's exactly what happened when my older two got their licenses. It's exactly what happened. And we had to set some parameters and, you know, there were, there were things that, that had to happen before we were comfortable doing that. But, um, but my kids certainly traveled on their own, um, long before any of their peers. Yeah. And they were often the driver of their peers to travel on their own. Cause they'd gone so many times and the other parents were like, okay, well you can go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take yourself, but you can let yeah. this other child take yeah. you. So, yeah. yeah. So I think like anything, yeah. it will be just a new horizon that we'll need to, to, negotiate our way through and figure out, yeah, you know, what does, what does safe, but freeing safe, but independent look like. 
for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a learning curve for the parent and the child. Yeah. That I'm constantly telling my kids, I've never been the parent of this age of child before. Well, I've only ever actually said that to my kids. say you, you can't, you can only get away yeah. with that story no. once. So, so as a, as a only one. child, I use that a lot, but you know, a lot. You right. only yeah. I only once. used it with yeah. Jacob. It's true. Yeah. I'm like, I'm totally new at this. I don't know. I did get it a little bit with our second because she was a girl. Mm. So I could say never been the mom of a girl this yeah. age. Let's see how, cause it is different. Let's be real. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And at least anyways, I needed the excuse. So I continued to use it, but <laughs> anything for that. But anyways, well, I certainly appreciate all of your insights and input. And every time I visit with you, I learn something and I'm inspired to be better and do more. And I really appreciate that about our friendship. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for and- chatting. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and I will look forward to seeing you again soon. But meanwhile, we'll just keep texting and talking. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Lee. Wasn't that conversation great with Lee Vincent? She's so wonderful. I hope you'll join us next week when I visit with my friend Nicole Ricks, who is a foster mom of several children. She's amazing. See you then.